Welcome to the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. This Specialty Pharmacy Podcast is a collaboration with the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy, the NASP, and the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The mission of the National Association of Specialty Pharmacy is to improve specialty pharmacy practice by promoting continuing professional education and certification of specialty pharmacists while advocating for public policies that ensure patient access to specialty medications. As the healthcare industry's leading podcast dedicated to the pharmacy profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network is proud to bring our listeners the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast in partnership with the NASP. Hello, welcome to another edition of the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kennedy, and today we have a very interesting guest. This guest is a rare disease patient himself, and probably just as interesting, an entrepreneur who has been in the marketplace and found a solution that not only will help him, but many other people that suffer the same chronic condition. This gentleman's name is Dakota Rosenfeld, and I am eager for him to share his story with us. And as tradition will have it here at the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast, we'll kick off with our famous question, and that is, who is Dakota Rosenfeld? And Dakota, I'll have you go ahead and answer that question for us. Sure. Once again, hey, thanks, Chris, for having me on. Uh, So who is Dakota Rosenfeld? That is such an interesting question. Um, I am 22 years old. I live in Kansas City, Missouri. I grew up in Belton, Missouri, about 20 minutes south of here. And I pretty much had a passion for the healthcare community since I was a young child. Um, As Chris mentioned, I'm a rare disease patient. I was diagnosed with severe hemophilia A at 13 months old, and I've been conquering it ever since. Um, If we want to go a little bit more, I enjoy long strolls on the beach and chit chats with friends. No, I'm kidding. But on a real note, my, uh, my real passion lies in the healthcare community where being affected by hemophilia from such an early age and as long as I have been, I've really been able to experience the hemophilia community and not just hemophilia, but all the healthcare community. I've really been able to get in and experience the patients, the families, everyone involved. And it's shown me that no matter who you are, your voice matters and you can do something to fix any problem which may be existent. Well, I think that says a lot, Dakota. I know that uh, from a personal standpoint, um, I like to reflect on the, the phrase that your attitude defines you, I think. Uh, you exemplify that. And, and, and really, I heard you touch on a kind of a, a key facet of something I want to hone in on. And that's kind of this patient experience, patient voice element to healthcare that, that seems to be very common in, in a lot of the literature and a lot of the conversations, a lot of the conferences today in healthcare. And so there's a lot of attention around patient experience, and, and that would be very helpful for our audience if, from your perspective, you could kind of walk us through what your experience has been like as a rare disease patient, specific to hemophilia, and, and then kind of share some of those insights. Sure. So my experience as a patient has been, looking over the years, generally good. Um, you know, Starting off, the standard of care for hemophilia wasn't the best. Uh, prophylactic infusions was not the sought-after thing for treatment at the time just due to insurance restrictions and various, uh, you know, very, there wasn't enough data to support that it was really as good as it was. So unfortunately, my earlier years could have been better. I suffered from many, many, many bleeds in a bunch of my joints, mostly my left ankle, which has given me some arthritis to this day, but I manage it pretty well and I'm still able to live a pretty healthy lifestyle. Um, regarding my patient experience, growing up in the hemophilia community exposed me to 
not only tons of other inspirational people who really helped form me to be who I am today, but it also introduced me to tons of opportunities which may, you know, many people may not know exist. Um, this can include bunches of community get-togethers, whether it be walks, national events, local events, anything where you can become involved. Uh, I'm probably most thankful for my diagnosis of hemophilia because it connected me with so many wonderful people and so many wonderful opportunities to be able to give back, to be able to volunteer, and to be able to share my voice and my experience with those people. Um, na national meetings, uh, local meetings, all of those things, I always put those in with my patient experience because like I said, these people that I've met over the years, going to the meetings, connecting with new people, networking with old friends, being able to shake new hands, all of those build into my patient experience of having a chronic condition may be scary, but it's up to you and it's completely your attitude on how scary you're going to you know, make it be to you. Yeah, I think that the, uh, the community aspect that you're highlighting is very very evident, uh, even from an outsider, right? So I, I was first exposed to the entire hemophilia community probably about three years ago. And, and what you're saying, I, I've seen firsthand as well. I, I think you did a great job recently in a, in a TEDx talk. Uh, it's a great video online for our listeners. If you have a chance to, to check that out, uh, look up Dakota Rosenfeld and uh, TEDx, and it'll pull it up there in the system. I think it's also on Dakota's website at hemotool.com. But in that TEDx talk, you talked about early on, having to address a lot of the misconceptions around hemophilia, I, I almost uh, equate it to being an educator. Uh, and I've heard this from uh, our other patients that, you know, well, you might have a good healthcare experience when you're with your, you know, primary hematologist. When you get into the ER or a physician that hasn't treated a hemophilia patient, you're sometimes put in a position in which you have to do a lot of re-educating or reminding physicians about the condition. Is that, is that the case? Absolutely. Um, I've seen myself in an educator role. Some people might find it hard to believe, but I mean, since I was in grade school, and wow. I kind of touched on that in that TED Talk, you know, it's in hemophilia, there's been lots of misconceptions about it over the years. My biggest one was people thinking we were spun glass, you couldn't even touch us or we were going to bruise and it was going to turn into some, you know, excruciating pain. But sure. whereas that could be true sometimes, most of the time that is not the case whatsoever, especially with how treatments are nowadays. We're very well managed and we're pretty much normal. Um, I've seen myself in the educator role, not only when I was a kid, but even now. And it's kind of helped build my ambitions and what I want to do with my career. Um, currently, as I said, I'm in pharmacy school here at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, where I'll graduate with my pharmacy degree in 2019. And I wanted to pursue pharmacy because I saw that as the perfect medium between full interaction with the patients all the time, being able to see, take their concerns and being able to express my knowledge to them in a way they can understand it and also have the added credibility of, you know, a doctorate in the healthcare industry, which that provides. Yeah, I think when, when you and I first met, I, I was blown away by the fact that as a patient, uh, you pursued a career that would give you even more insights into not only your disease state, but the, the therapy management aspect, and, and also how you could help expand that knowledge, share it with others, and, and ultimately help treat patients that have uh, kind of or are headed down the same path that you're on. 
Um, not only in hemophilia, but other rare disorders. And I, I find that highly commendable. Um, and, and congrats to you in, in navigating the complexities of pharmacy school. For our listeners, and, you know, Dakota, you're talking with a lot of pharmacy executives, and we all know the commitment level it takes to go through pharmacy school. And, and also you're working on your MBA too, correct, right after this? Correct. Yeah. Like I said, as if, uh, like I was telling you earlier, as if six years of school wasn't enough to get my pharmacy degree, I thought it'd be a great idea to go for two or three more years to get my MBA. Uh, just that'll allow me to better pursue my, you know, pursue my ambitions of wanting to be influential and helpful in the healthcare community as far as helping innovate in the healthcare community as well. Well, that's a great transition point to the next question. I, I, I myself am headed out uh, to Wharton Business School here the first of the year uh, to an innovation executive program that they're having. And, I, you know, I've noticed this interesting trend in healthcare uh, that I continue to want to help accelerate, and that's around patients or customers, right, really who, who yeah. have experiences that manifest into a potential market need uh, that can be addressed through some sort of innovative technology or solution. I think that... Uh, when I think about Dakota Rosenfeld and some of the, the problems you've encountered as a patient, can you kind of walk us through your personal journey that led you to becoming an entrepreneur and kind of starting your new venture? Sure, of course. So, like I said, I was diagnosed at 13 months, and I just kind of progressed through life. I don't want to say I coasted. I don't, even, I don't like to say <laughs> I ever coasted through life. I planned my life to the five-minute mark. It's been that way since I was five years old. It'll be that way until I'm 95 years old. But <laughs> as far as um, working forward towards my, you know, working forward towards my later ambitions, I started to become very self What's the word I'm looking for here? I was, being, I was able to self-manage my condition starting around the age of nine or 10, where I learned to self-infuse. Um, you can imagine my family's awe whenever a nine-year-old is walking around with a needle and able to access his veins himself. That was a bit of a shock to them, but hey, they loved it. Well, my so, mom was so, in healthcare, so. So, so Dakota, let's not, let's not blow past that, that, that part, because I, I, I think it's worth you know, kind of highlighting. So seven, eight years old, you're, you're practicing self-infusing and there's just a, a once a week infusion or how often are you doing this back then? Uh, back then, uh, before the prophylaxis stuff, I was doing it whenever I had issues, whenever I would have a bleed of some sorts. But unfortunately, I had bleed pretty often. So I was doing it once or twice a week. I mean, for a lot of us parents, uh, you know, myself included, right? I have a eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And just getting one shot a year before school is darn near, you would think, the, the worst thing that could happen. So I, it's amazing, right, to, to hear the, the ins and outs of, a, the, of the daily routine um, that a patient, yourself, when you're eight or nine, and, and what that must be like for, for you at that time. So I just like to highlight that. I feel like sometimes we hear these things that kind of blow past us, and wow, I, I, I just, I simply, I can't imagine, and I can't relate to that. So. Kudos to you for, for learning that. I know that that's become more of the norm of self-infusing when you're that young, but wow, really neat. Yeah, well, yeah, well thanks, man. Yeah, the best way to entice any kid, the younger they are, is give them a dollar. So we had this <laughs> little thing that said every time I did an infusion, it would make sure I wrote down remember what vein I used. And I think there was 10 or 12 spots on a piece of paper, but every time I filled up a piece of paper, and I was the one that did the injection myself. I got 10 bucks. You know, when you're seven or eight years old, $10, you might as well be a millionaire. 
So well, I that really leads us, <laughs> that's where your entrepreneurial spirit started clearly. And that leads us to Hemo tool and how you found the, the opportunity for that solution. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's Hemo tool basically came out of a clinical trial actually. Uh, here okay. at Hemophilia Treatment Center in Kansas City, I took part in a tr clinical trial for a long-acting factor product. It gave us this device for us to track all of our infusions. It was one of the old, I'm not sure how many people may remember them, but the old HTC phones. Uh, very, compared to today's standards, very archaic devices, but at the time, I think they were, you know, the next sliced bread. But this thing was awful at tracking the infusions and making sure we got the boxes entered in correctly. And that's where it all kind of spurred. The iPhone came out in 2007, I believe, and the App Store debuted in 2009. This was all about the time I was doing those original studies. And that's when I kind of started to think, well, with all these apps coming out, maybe I should start fixing a need. Up until this point, all of the logging for everything had been done on paper. So that's when I said, well, what if I could put this on my phone, something I use every day. And that's pretty much where Hemotool started. Went to the drawing board, came up with the original schematics for it. Since then, it's undergone a big redesign, but the original product launched in 2011. And ever since then, it's been helping people on their path to a better clinical outcome. What are the consequences, Dakota, if I'm a patient and I'm doing it the old standard way of pen and paper? A, I know that that's not very practical because a lot of us don't take the time to do that on a daily basis. But, but B, I, I find that, you know, asking patients to do anything nowadays can become somewhat of a task in itself. So can you highlight for the audience uh, the benefits of using a, a tracking tool like that versus not, for, especially for people that might not be as familiar with hemophilia? Sure, of course. So being able to log the medication use, not only can you track where you may have used as an injection site. With intravenous injections, you typically don't want to use the same vein access point, if at all possible, because that you know, promotes the production of scar tissue, which sometimes, depending on how bad it is, can be impossible to get a needle through to access your veins. But aside from that, it also allows you to track for trends in your treatment regimen. You may be on a treatment regimen of every other day or some lower unit, but you're having breakthrough bleeds at the same time every week or after certain activities, you might not notice it on a normal Monday through Friday week. But if you're able to look back at a month or maybe two or three months and you're able to see some form of trend, okay, I'm infusing Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but I'm getting bleeds on Sunday. What is going on? Being able to look back and track the trend of your use allows you to improve your uh, regiment. It allows you to go have that discussion with your doctor. It's a great icebreaker. If some people don't know how to start the conversation, throw the log, email the log to your doctor and say, something's going on. Let's fix it. I want to do something about this. Aside from that, it also is good with, you know, any recalls that may happen, but that's not necessarily sure. the biggest concern because typically specialty pharmacies keep a really good hand on that. Well, from our perspective as a specialty pharmacy, our, our clinical team has put a lot of emphasis on tracking as being a, a need to do, not a nice to do, right? So if you don't have your baseline data, then it's very difficult on any element of business or even doing a, a project outside of business or a clinical trial. If you don't have the baseline data, then, then what are you truly measuring for improvement or the downside 
uh, a decrease in efficacy or efficiency, et cetera. So I, I think it's a very astute, a very simple, seemingly simple solution that still takes engagement from the patients. I, I feel like we're seeing more and more proactive use of uh, bleed trackers, et cetera, and that only is going to help us see how these new therapies are doing. Uh, so I think you're positioned in, in a great spot. Um, we're going to take a, a quick break and get a message in from one of our sponsors. When we return, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into Hemotool. I also want to touch on the Click and Go App Designs company itself. Have Dakota walk us through potential opportunities for especially pharmacy and pharma to get involved with this exciting new market program. Again, we'll be back here right in a second. Keycentrics has been leading and guiding the pharmacy industry for over 40 years. A forerunner of innovation and technology, Keycentrics more than delivers pharmacy software solutions to the ever-expanding complex network of healthcare. The heart of Keycentrics is dedicated to restoring patient health and promoting patient compliance by the continuation of care through pharmacy management. Keycentrics brings pharmacy management to a comprehensive level of understanding and precision unlike anything available in the industry. Keycentrics' new Leaf RX pharmacy management software revolutionizes this opportunity for specialty pharmacy markets. New Leaf RX thinks like a pharmacist and a prescriber at the same time, while also providing the data needed for decisions from every other contributor in the healthcare ecosystem. New Leaf RX will lead to successful outcome-based processes, guaranteed. At the end of the day, Keycentric software packages have what every pharmacy has been looking for. New Leaf RX is the next level of pharmacy management systems. For more information and to experience a demo, visit Keycentrics.com. All right, we're back with this exciting and interesting, and I think inspirational segment that we're having here with Dakota Resonfelt. He is the head and CEO of Click and Go App Designs and Hemotool, a new app for bleed tracking for hemophilia patients. And I guess we'll just jump right into it. Um, can you walk our listeners through, Dakota, both the company of uh, Click and Go App Designs and then the new solution um, that we touched on a little bit earlier here in the program? Can you kind of walk us through um, both those elements? Sure. So Quick and Go App Designs is a nonprofit organization that we funded to be able to, or that we founded to be able to help those suffering from chronic conditions better manage their health. Um, Quick and Go was designed with the idea of we people who know us from the community, not just the hemophilia community, but other healthcare communities as a whole. People who know us and know me know that I'm not in this for any type of profit. I'm not in this for any type of you know, personal gain. I'm in this to help the patients. I'm in this to help. I really want people to have a better health outcome overall. I really want people to have the data at their hands to be able to show, hey, you know, my treatment's working or my treatment is not working. So Click and Go App Designs was created as a nonprofit with that in mind, knowing that when people come to us to partner with us, they know that we're a genuine company who's wanting to really help with the patients and really help with putting people first as far as better managing, better managing their health, tracking trends, making sure that their current regimens are perfect regimens to keep them on the track to a better health. Well, I love the approach. It sounds like it's applicable to other disease states as well. Are there some other uh, therapy classes that you'll start targeting with this app too? 
Absolutely. So currently we are also working on arthritis as well as diabetes. Um, the idea with Click and Go was, yes, the hemophilia area was where we wanted to start off our mission, but with so many other conditions and so many other people technically in need, we wanted to be able to branch out and be able to get into these different disease states. Um, I attended a pretty influential conference with some of the world's top bloggers um, for all these chronic conditions. We're talking rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's, chronic pain, all of these people who run these online blogs. I was asked to attend this conference where I was able to connect with many, many, many different disease states and big publicly outspoken figures in these disease states. And since then, there's been some pretty cool collaboration that's gone down to be able to come up with ideas for other disease states and how we can help with those patients. Yeah, I imagine so. I, I love the collaborative element uh, of, of that. And, you know, I, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about myself and just uh, my own behaviors in general or habits, et cetera. When do I work out in the morning or do I work out? What am I having for lunch? What am I not? When am I taking arthritis medicine or when am I taking Advil or, or, or did I forget to? And so I, I can only assume that when you have a tool like HemoTool, uh, I as a patient probably have an assumption that I make about my behaviors that after using this tool for a month or so, I imagine there can be some pretty big uh, revelations that happen when you look at your actual data versus what you think your data is. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Not only in the sense of, I thought my regimen was perfect for me, but right. oh, wait, maybe it's not better for me. Maybe there's something better out there for me. Yeah. Not only in that sense, but also in the sense of making sure that you're utilizing it correctly. Sure. Uh, there's been lots of movement in the industry as far as insurance providers asking for logs for hemophilia medication and other medications alike. And being able to show a utilization pattern saying, see, this utilization works for me. I'm not having no bleeds. Would you like to change my regimen and potentiate more bleeds? Having that record and having that data, everything in healthcare is about the data. You can go with anecdotal evidence. You can go with clinical experience. But everything is about data. And having a real-world image to look at to show there is an improved clinical outcome and improved patient experience with this tool or with this device really speaks volumes to those in question or those who are speculative. Yeah, you know, if you're going to equate, you know, a healthcare journey to, to getting in an automob automobile, a car, for example, and, and you're either taking the taxi where you're sitting in the back seat and you're letting the, the driver or the health practitioner kind of steer you without much feedback, it's much different than when you take the wheel, right? And I think data can provide us with that wheel, regardless if you're talking hemophilia or a rare condition or, or even more of a more common disorder or condition or general health. I, I think that data empowers us as patients, and, and it's clear that HemoTool is on that same track. So, I, I, again, I commend you for, you know, not only creating something, but, but being a patient who said, hey, there's an opportunity here, and taking it from the idea stage to, hey, I think I can kind of do this stage to then, as you and I both know, you whiteboard it out and then actually doing it. So that's, that's a journey in itself. And uh, again, my hat's off to you and I'm very familiar with that entrepreneurial journey. It's not easy. You, you might even attest to the fact that it's, it's as complex as being a uh, hemophilia patient. Is, is that pretty close? Absolutely. I've never heard yeah. anything more accurate. <laughs> Well, you're doing well, man. So, Tommy, you've got a great uh, captive audience here of pharmacy executives like, like myself, and I know there are 
pharmaceutical executives on the on the uh, in, in the audience. Um, how do people like myself go about potentially getting involved or finding a place, finding a home, if you will, for Hemotool uh, in our clinical uh, approaches to treating patients? Sure. So integrating Hemotool into any specialty pharmacy or any pharmaceutical company's plan is really a big testament to how well you guys invest back into your patients. Um, partnering with Hemotool, there's multiple opportunities for specialty pharmacies, whether it be creation of and customized ordering page. Hemotool allows for patients to order new medications for their next month. Uh, and through the use of a customized ordering page, the interface of Hemotool is all the generic model. However, the specialty pharmacy who partners with us has a customized ordering page with their logo at top, their color scheme matching the pharmacy of choice. And the patient is able to instill one-tap ordering, so it's not going through the cumbersome entering, entering of information for their specialty pharmacy every time they need to order. It also saves their information. We're also exploring the options to be able to act as a third party to create an option or a logging option or just a medication tracking option for any company, whether it be specialty pharmacies or pharma companies. So that way it still utilizes the Hemotool look, the Hemotool feel, but it's more customized and more alike with the company who's partnered with us. So essentially we take all the costs out of the pharmaceutical company or specialty pharmacy to have to fund it and house it in their own world, and we take all of it and absorb it in our own way. We're able to push it out to our network of patients as well as have um, you know, pushed out on our social media so that we can talk to patients and say, this pharmaceutical company or this specialty pharmacy chose to reinvest in their patients in this way. We're a nonprofit company, so your data is your data. Your information is your information. Very good. And, and the, uh, the website for that, it's www.hemotool.com. I'm saying that correctly. Is that right? Correct, yes. Um, and is that, that's, that there's information on there no matter kind of who's looking to get involved? Yes, absolutely. All you have to do is go to the About Us tab, and then in the Donate tab as well, there's a little blip on, hey, if you'd like to partner, there's an email address for you to contact. And if I'm a patient today, can I, can I try this thing out? Can I take a test drive on Hemotool? Absolutely. Hemotool is available on the Apple iOS store, and it's also coming available on Android. We are actually going through our final beta testing of Android, and we're anticipating its launch by the end, middle to end of January. Um, iOS has proved a little, iOS 11, let me specify, has proved a little bit more problematic than we thought, but if anybody knows anything about coding, I'm not alone. I can guarantee you guys are probably thinking the exact same thing. Um, so we've had to focus quite a bit of our resources on making sure iOS works without a cinch, but since everything works out great now, we've been able to refocus more on Android, and we do, are, we are set to hit our launch date of mid to late January. Great. Well, this has been extremely insightful for myself and I'm sure for our audience members as well. I guess kind of the last question here, Dakota, would be, you know, what advice do you have for not just other patients, but other listeners out there that have an idea or a concept for a product that could improve the lives of patients? I mean, where does, well, you know, take us back to Dakota two or three years ago before you worked on Hemo MD or Hemo Tool more formally. Uh, how and, and where did you start off and where did you go? Do you have anything you can share on that front? Yeah, of course. So Hemotool actually started as a local community college's um, semester project. 
Um, that's actually how we got hooked up with the developers who work with us now. So I had the idea. We connected with a friend of ours who has been involved in computer coding, and he said, I think you guys should go here. So we went to a local community college. I pitched my idea to the professor there, and they wanted to take it on as their semester project for the coding class there. That was how the original Hemotool was born. And ultimately, what I'm trying to convey with this message is the best way that if you have an idea or you have some type of image in your head, you just don't know how to get it out, ask questions. Ask for connections. There, you have no idea who everyone you know knows. You have no idea what everyone you know knows. So the more you ask questions and the more you ask to be connected with people, the person right to your left might not be able to connect you, but the person to their left might be the answer to your problem. So ask questions. Don't be shy. It's okay to get the answer no. Just know one no. You're going to get 10,000 no's before you get one yes. But it doesn't matter. So what matters is you ask questions and you continue to pursue your dream until you're able to hit a product. Well, I like it. I'm sure our listeners can feel your passion as well. I think that's the other the other aspect to delivering something to the marketplace, and that's being passionate around it. Kind of here in my closing remarks, I just want to highlight how enjoyable it is for me personally to meet with people like Dakota and really learn from patients. I believe the patient voice has been underserved uh, in, in the past in healthcare. And I think the more and more we find ways to get patient feedback back directly to us in real time, the more we can find solutions like the one Dakota went out and launched on his own, the more we can continue to hone in on value propositions that improve outcomes and reduce costs across the board. And, and probably just as importantly uh, for us as executives to realize that a lot of times the solutions are sitting right in front of us and, and listening to a patient could be that next big advancement in healthcare. So to Dakota Rosenfeld, thank you for joining us on the show. To our listeners, I look forward to uh, the feedback. Feel free to send me notes uh, and any type of requests you have for upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Christopher Kennedy with the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast Network, and thank you for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Specialty Pharmacy Podcast. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow pharmacists, doctors, and healthcare providers dedicated to optimal patient care. If you have ideas for future episode topics, please email the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your message to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com.